Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, January 8, 2023. It focuses on the way to salvation. The message to all who will listen is salvation is by faith in Jesus, not by observing the law. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Look what I have in my hand. Paper. Can you believe it? So I'm going to do something a little bit different. I don't think I've ever done this before. I always talk to people about how when I first started preaching, my sermons weren't very long and they weren't very good. That's what I always tell people. So I went back this week because I thought about doing a series on Galatians and I remembered that I had done a series on Galatians at my very first church back in 1998 because, huh? Did I say 88? Oh, 88. I missed it by a decade. Okay. Yeah, I, it's on my notes. It says 1988. So 1988, imagine me. I did not have white hair. I didn't have a, well, I don't know. I don't think I had a beard. I was really, I should have had a picture. That's what I should have had. But anyway, so you notice that this is handwritten. I did not own a computer. The church, right before we came, decided that they would buy me an electric typewriter. So I wrote my, my sermon out in longhand. And I discovered when I went back and read this first series that it wasn't as bad as I remembered it. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Galatians for the next few weeks, and we're going to go back to 1988, you know, back to the future, all that kind of stuff. Marty and, no, I won't go there. But anyway, about that era. And uh, we're going to talk about the book of Galatians, and I hope that it works well. And just for grins and giggles, um, you're going to see how short my sermons were because like the the first or second slide are going to tell you when sermon one starts. I'm doing two sermons today. You're going to see when sermon two starts. But, you know, the message is clear, and I think that uh, God blessed those people with better messages than I had in me. And so we're going to do that this morning. But before we go into God's word, I want to pray and invite God to speak to us. God, you inspired this stuff a long time ago, and I've been trying to be faithful for 30-some years since then, and I thank you, God, that even when I didn't know much, you still used your word to impact people's lives, and I pray, God, that, that this won't be just a novelty, but that you would take your word and accomplish in each person today what you want to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so having an understandable message is important in many areas of our lives. Consider, for example, the messages that are given by road signs. You see signs like this rather than signs that read, the Kansas Department of Transportation, in order to ensure the safety of the drivers on its roads, suggests that you slow your motor vehicle by applying pressure to the brake pedal of said vehicle down to a speed of 25 miles per hour for the corner, which is mere 40 feet beyond this sign. Thank you for your cooperation. 
By the time you finished reading that or concentrating on that sign, you would be in the ditch a mere 50 feet beyond that sign, correct? The sign would never accomplish its task of ensuring the safety of drivers on the road or off the road. The message is much more effective on a bright yellow sign with an arrow which way that you're going to turn that says 25 MPH. No special knowledge is, is uh, needed for that. You do, do need to know MPH, but basically the sign says slow down. Well, it's a message that's simple and direct and doesn't require those special skills or knowledge to understand. A simple message is also important when communicating the good news to other people, whether they're adults or children. Using words or terms that we take for granted sometimes in the church, or maybe it's just preachers that take them for advantage, things like justification and sanctification and other multi-syllabic, multi-syllable words. Anyway, they confuse people and they miss the, miss the turn and end up in the ditch 40 feet down the road or 40 seconds into the sermon. I don't know. Confusing the good news makes it inaccessible to most casual listeners. So Jesus made the gospel clear whenever he spoke of it, and the gospel writers, they made it clear as well. And we're going to go back to John 3.16, because I've been using that in sermons for however many years it is, since 1988. Jesus was talking with Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to it at night because he was one of those religious leaders that most of the, his friends and peers hated Jesus. They didn't really like his message. They didn't like the fact that he was taking uh, attention away from them, taking their position of mediator between God and man. And so Nicodemus came at night to talk to Jesus, and he wanted to know what was going on. And this is what we have in John 3.16. You know this. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that's the good news. Simple. Any Joe sinner could understand that if they want to. And God can use those words through his spirit just to speak into people's hearts, can't he? It's a message that we need to hear and a message that we need to proclaim. Paul also made the gospel simple in 1 Corinthians 15. Starting at verse 3, actually before that it says, By this gospel you are saved, and then he explains, starting at verse 3. He says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. And beyond that, those verses that follow after that, he talks about many other appearances, uh, about what God did and how God continued to make it clear that Jesus had risen from the dead. Paul's message is simple and to the point. Jesus came. Jesus died for us. We have salvation through him. He rose from the dead and appeared to others, and so you can have hope in him. It's no wonder that Paul is a little bit angry at Peter and what he does In Galatians chapter 2, yes, in 1988, I skipped over chapter 1. We'll get back to it, I promise. Galatians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 11 through 21. 
When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. I've just noticed a funny thing in here. I made fun of justified, and it says it numerous times here. We'll get to that. But if in working to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Now, there were many Jews in the early church days who were trying to make it hard for the Gentiles as they came into the church. The Jews were feeling a little bit threatened, perhaps. After all, they had struggled for years to keep the law. They had done all the things that the law said in order to gain salvation, or so they thought, and now it was being handed out freely. This would be kind of like Maybe some of you felt a little bit jealous or a little bit angry when they started talking about forgiving student loans. You had to pay yours off, right? And so you get mad. This is the same sort of thing. Peter knew better than all of this. He was beginning to act differently when the Jews showed up and these guys who were promoting that the Gentiles had to believe and act in the same way as the Jews had for centuries. They were saying that the Gentiles needed to be circumcised. They show up, and Peter, who has been hanging out with these people, he starts to draw back. He says, oh, can't hang out with uncircumcised folks now that these guys are here. What kind of example was that? That would certainly make the Gentiles want to leave the church to go back to their old buddies in the idol temples, because at least they accepted them for who they were and where they were. Can you imagine the confusion it would put in the minds of these people? Paul had told them that they were saved apart from the law, and then Peter, a leader in the church, seems to think differently or act differently. What's the deal? Are we saved by God's unmerited favor, or are we saved by the right of circumcision, or by observing some of the Jewish laws? Paul reprimands Peter and sets the record straight by giving us some statements that can help us when others try to confuse the gospel. 
In verses 15 to 16, he points out that even the Jews know that they are not made right before God by following the law, but only through believing in Jesus. That, after all, is the gospel, salvation through faith. The end of verse 16 says, by observing the law, no one will be made right before God. Did you know that the Bible says that? You don't get saved by doing what the law says. You get saved by believing on Jesus. We'll get into that. Finally, in verse 21, he puts it very plainly. If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. But in saying this, he brings out the truth of the good news. Christ did not die for nothing, right? He died for something. The law cannot fix up our relationship with God permanently. Otherwise, the Jews wouldn't have had to come back year after year to sacrifice animals for their sins. Christ's death, though, brings forgiveness for sin, and that is the good news. Paul knows a lot about it because, as you can read in chapter 1, 11 through chapter 2, verse 10, he was given this message from Christ directly. I'm going to read just a few of those verses. Verses 11 through 16. This is chapter 1, starting at verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. Paul was persecuting the church. He was doing that when Jesus came and saved him. What were you doing when Jesus came and saved you? Probably wasn't all good. Paul would never have gotten it right if Jesus hadn't come because he was attacking those who wanted to believe. It is Paul's conversion experience that makes the dangers of this circumcision group so terrible. They were ruining the simplicity of the message and throwing the newcomers into confusion. He uses some strong words in verses 6 through 10. Yes, I'm going backwards, I know. So in verses 6 through 10 of chapter 1, he says this, I am astonished, he's writing the Galatians now, I'm astonished that you are, are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. The gospel is believing in Jesus and trusting him. 
Don't believe anybody else if they tell you anything different. That's what Paul's saying here. The gospel is this, believing on Jesus. That is Paul's message and the overriding theme throughout the book of Galatians is that salvation is by grace, not by the law. That is the message that the world longs to and needs to hear. That's the message that we who have grown up in the church, and we need to hear it as well when we try to overburden ourselves in an attempt to earn salvation. We need to go back to this and say, salvation is by grace, not by the law. Our do's and don'ts don't save us. Only our faith in Jesus can do that. And I hope that as we study the book of Galatians over the next few Sundays that we're going to be freed from the bondage of duty and can accept the gospel for what it is, the life of Christ within us. Then we'll be able to serve God joyfully as our love for him looks for ways to express itself. Throughout the New Testament, both those writing and those written about refer back to men and actions from the Old Testament. One of the men that's often referred to is Abraham. He is constantly cited as an example of faith in God. He is the one through whom the whole world has been blessed with salvation by faith. Several times in Abraham's lifetime, he was given promises of blessing for the earth. The first that is mentioned is in Genesis chapter 12, where God calls Abram to leave his family and go to a country that God's going to show him. He says, just leave your father's household, go to this place, and I will show it to you. And he shows faith in God as he pulls up his roots and goes wherever God directs. We talked about this a few weeks ago, or late last year, as we were talking about the different covenants that God made with his people. You remember the promise was that God would bless all nations through Abraham. The next time the promise comes up is in chapter 18 of Genesis. God is going to destroy the city of Sodom and the city of Gomorrah because of wickedness. Abraham shows his faith in God by pleading for the people. Pleading for the righteous people who might live in that city. And he goes from 50 people down to 10, and he should have kept going because there weren't quite enough people. And God chose to judge that city anyway. But his prayers were answered, and Lot and his two daughters escaped with their lives. And the final time that this promise is repeated or recounted is in chapter 22, where God tests Abraham. God tells Abraham to go and sacrifice his son Isaac on a mountain. Abraham goes to do this thing, believing that God can raise Isaac from the dead if he wishes. As he's about to sacrifice his son, God stops him and provides a sacrifice in his place, just as Jesus is our sacrifice in our place. Abraham had complete trust and faith in God, and that faith was credited to him as righteousness. Because of his faith, all nations are going to be blessed. It is this act of faith that so often appears in the New Testament. And one such passage where Abraham is brought up is in the book of Galatians. And and we, uh, we observed earlier, the central message of the book of Galatians is that salvation is by faith and not by the observance of the law or any other set of standards. You can't make up standards that match what God wants for you. The Galatians were confused, and so Paul set out to write them this letter reaffirming the good news that he had preached to them in the first place. And as he begins chapter 3, 
he asked them some hard questions. So let's read the first five verses of chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So these Galatians have been told about the sacrifice of Christ, and they had believed in him for salvation. They had a good start in their faith until someone tried to convince them that they had to observe the law. How frustrated Paul must have been in all of his work. These men were going around to all the Gentiles, throwing them into confusion, and Paul has to run around trying to straighten out the messes that they're making. But we have more words of his to help us. You can hear his frustration, especially clear in verse 3. After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Good grief, you guys. You can hear that, right? You foolish Galatians. Wake up and smell the coffee. Salvation is by faith, it's not by the law. Now he shifts gears and tries a more logical approach. He cites Abraham as an example of salvation by faith apart from the observance of the law. Paul quotes Genesis 15.6, which says he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was Abraham's faith that made him right before God. In the same way, the Galatians and we today are saved or made right before God by faith in him. In verses 10 to 14, Paul goes on and outlines the truth about salvation. So let's read that, verses 10 through 14. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. We are all cursed because we couldn't keep the requirements of the law. We were doomed to die because the wages of sin is death. It says that in Romans. But Christ took that curse upon himself and in doing so brought about the blessing that had been promised to Abraham. We are saved when, like Abraham, we believe in God and accept the salvation that he has provided through Jesus' blood and his resurrection. And to make sure that his point sinks in, Paul explains why the law cannot save from the standpoint of the covenant that was made with Abraham. And we're at verse 15 now. 
15 to 25. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies that there is more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. The promise made to Abraham was never set aside. Men could not change it. The law didn't change it. God was faithful to his promise, and he brought salvation through Abraham's seed, which is Christ himself. The law came 430 years after God's promise to Abraham. The law did have its purpose. The law brought out the sinfulness of sin. When we found out about sin, we started to disobey. Isn't that how you do that? You learn, oh, that's a sin. I'll keep doing that or our flesh wants to do that. In our own strength, we were continually falling into sin, but now Christ has released us from that by giving us his strength to stand up under sin. It's with the Spirit's help, not our own. We were all captive to sin, but through the promise given to Abraham, we too are saved by faith. Verse 24. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. So Christ has come, and we are no longer under the supervision of the law, but we are under Christ. Just because the observance of the law cannot save us does not mean that we get to do whatever we want, though. The standards of God have not changed. Those guided by Christ will not break the law because the Holy Spirit will be there to guide them by God's holy standards. The life within us guides us. The difference then is in who holds the control of our lives. We can only gain salvation through giving the control of our life over to God. This is done by faith in what Christ has already done for us. Salvation apart from the law doesn't give us an excuse to break the law. Rather, it gives us freely the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection which is eternal life and the power to live for God. Chapter 3's message is clear. Faith has always been and always will be 
the only way to salvation. Being good doesn't do it. Following the law won't do it. We have salvation if we have believed in Christ. Now that we have it, how will our lives be changed? How will God show himself in us and through us? That's where doing good through the Holy Spirit comes in. When we pray, God will give us his leading and will show us ways in which we can show our thankfulness to him for what he's done and can show that to the world as well. Amen? We're going to pray, and then we're going to take just a few moments in silence to let you respond to God's word and to be reminded in your heart that faith is the only way to salvation, that salvation comes by grace rather than by the law. God, thank you that you are here Thank you that you love us and that you provided a way for salvation through your son, Jesus. I pray, God, that you would give us thankful hearts. And God, if we're not in faith, I pray, God, that you would give us that faith, that you would help us to believe. We thank you for Jesus and for the grace that you provided so that we don't have to try to save ourselves by the law, but that we can be made right by your grace. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. I want to remind you this morning that we have that chest that has names of people that don't know Jesus in it. We'll bring it back out next week. Um, keep praying. I was reminded of that this morning as I was praying that we have to pray that people would come to know Christ. And I hope that you're praying for somebody by name and that uh, as they come to salvation that you'll also be praying that God would give you direction in how you can lead them to follow Jesus and encourage them in that. Let's pray. God, do your work in us. God, if there's any here today that haven't put their faith in Jesus and are still depending upon their own good works or the law or their imagined goodness to make it into heaven, I pray, God, that you would cause them to see that it's not going to cut it. Because none of us can live out the law perfectly we try living by the law, we're under a curse. But Jesus took the curse upon himself when he was hung on the cross. And so he fulfilled righteousness and he offers, you offer us salvation through him. And a, your salvation is that righteousness and that life that you have given through Jesus to those who believe. And not just mental assent, but those who give themselves heart, soul, mind, strength, everything to Jesus. Help us, God, to live out our salvation, to allow you by your spirit to work through us and to live through us and to bless through us and speak through us throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, 
be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.